1: Happy Friday, everybody. What's going on? Duffified Live Day today, episode number 29. That is 29 weeks of doing this show. Actually, it's really more like 31, because there were two weeks out of that whole time that we didn't do a show. I apologize about last week, everybody. I know I actually had somebody uh, pissed off at me because we didn't have a show. And I'm really sorry about that. Um, It's been a crazy week going forward uh, with everything. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, you know, a hurricane that ran through, uh, you know, all of Florida tore it apart the week before that we have Houston. Um, we had a lot of stuff that was going on, uh, with a lot of things and I just was traveling and running around and there was just no possible way for me to sit down for that hour and coordinate with a guest and get everything taken care of in the way that I needed to. So rather than giving you guys a super shitty show, I made the decision uh, to not do a show at all because it just wasn't going to happen and it wasn't going to be a good one. So I apologize. Unfortunately, it's the way that life works sometimes. Hey, you guys know what I do and you guys know what I wear and what I look like and all that stuff. I'm a short, fat guy, but guess what this short, fat guy likes to do? I like a hat. I love a hat. Big fan of the hat. You want a hat? You're going to go to NogginWear.com. Check them out. They've got subscriptions, three, six, and nine month. You can do whatever you want to do. You can buy one if that's what you want to do. I, however, don't just buy one hat at a time. You guys get involved in the subscription. They're going to take care of you free shipping. You're going to get a cool little package inside. It's a little gift just to say, thank you boys and girls go to nogginware.com. Tell them I sent you grab yourself 10% off just by putting the code chef up. Um, so let's, let's kind of, you know, do some recap here and see what's been going on with everything. Um, I just got back from, uh, Byron, Illinois again, and loves park, Illinois, where I went out, we relaunched a new menu at one of my clients places called arrow Ale House. Super awesome people, really, really good people who get it. They have taken um, this area kind of by storm. Um, These are clients who contacted me about five years ago uh, and said, hey, we really want to do something. We own a dive bar. We want to do something different. And I'm not even going to lie to you. I kind of blew them off. I thought maybe, you know, maybe they're just joking around or they're not going to be able to afford me or it's not high profile or whatever it was. It was these were decisions that were made. You know, while I was on rescue and and I was looking to kind of build my business, and I, I didn't know what they were doing, so they reached back out to me again and said, "Hey, we're not joking; we really want to do this." And we started to move forward. And I work with two people who are passionate about what they do, and they both know what they know, and they know what they don't know, and it's a really nice thing. Um, Matt is uh, is uh, one of the owners, and Jamie, his wife, is one of the owners as well. And it's really nice to work with those guys because they trust me for what I do. But they also know that I'm not building a menu that's based off of pride for myself and internal pride. It's more of a pride for the product that I put out with these guys. And they get that. They understand it. We're very, very open and honest with each other when we develop menus. They respect my decisions and the, and, and the quality of food that I try to bring to the table with them. And I respect their decisions because they know the clientele. And we're not trying to be something that we're not. They've got a really nice little gastropub kind of world that they live in. We try to create some cool dishes that are simple and creative um, without going completely over the top, Um, over the top in in areas like this doesn't work. So we really kind of build it. And what we've done over the last couple of years is we've built their their business to kind of exceed the expectations of the guest. You know, there's a lot of places that are in these areas that uh, they just serve food. You know, there's a there's an organic or a, a farm to table place that's up the street that there was a Cisco truck out front the other day. So don't call yourself a farm to table restaurant when Cisco's pulling up and dropping off commodity milk and butter. You know, if you really want to be a local, sustainable, organic place, get a set of balls and go out and do it. Stop trying to pussyfoot around and stop trying to act as if that's what it is that you do. Um, I've opened organic restaurants and there's a lot of work that goes into that. I spent six months just learning about different products and learning about different farms that were local to the area. Um, the idea of local is something that is 300 miles. So what can you get in 300 miles? We'll, we'll kind of hum on this for a little while. Did you know that that 50% of the United States population lives within 300 miles of Atlantic City? Now, you can sit back right now. No, hold on. Think about that for a second. 300 miles of Atlantic City, 50% of the United States population. When I, when I first heard that kind of statistic, my, my initial response was bullshit. There's no way. Well, think about it. And, and at the same time, I want you to think about what local is within a 300 mile range. So 300 miles leaves you from Atlantic City, New Jersey. That brings you to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, going further west of Philadelphia, out towards, you know, leaving out towards Pittsburgh and stuff like that. Go down a little bit south, Boston, D, Boston, I'm sorry, D.C., you know, Baltimore. These are all areas that are all within 300 miles of Atlantic City. So if you think about that, and then break that down to the level of what it is when people say, or uh, you know, local. That's a big range to work within. So for me, I try to keep my range within 75 miles. And with that being done, I found some pretty cool stuff. So if you go to a website called LocalHarvest.org, you can type in your zip code and you can put a range in there of what it is that you're looking for. You can put a range in there that's going to find a farmer who who does beef, which is how I found, you know, the 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 owner of Douglas and uh, and Shaner farms or of uh, Shaner and Peterson Peterson and Shaner farms out in Douglasville, Pennsylvania. This was a guy who, who raises cattle. Um, and he kind of exposed me to a different world of how they rotate their crop or how they rotate their fields and their paddocks for their, for their cattle and how they raise their cattle. And it was kind of neat to be able to walk into the middle of a pasture and have cattle walk over to you. Now, Look, I can be kind of funny here and say, little did this guy know that I was going to be having him on a burger a little bit further down the road. But what it came down to was that these are farms that they are so close with the crop and the livestock that they produce that they walk right up to you. They're not running away from you. You're not calling them. They walk right up to you. And, And that was a neat thing for me to realize, because from there, I ended up meeting some amazing other people, like a gentleman named Jack Nachampkin. Who is a uh, an actual rocket scientist? Who had a uh, had a garden at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens at the age of sixteen, and he was growing his own crops on this on this property that was about six miles away from the restaurant. That I was able to get the most amazing produce from him, and he even said, "If you want to grow something on my farm, go right ahead." So we ended up doing a little bit of herbs and stuff like that. But the product that I was getting from him, I was relearning how to cook, and I I I. I, I I mean I attribute a lot of what I do today to that process of reaching out and finding farms and meeting with people. And it's something that's really tough to do when you're running a larger group of restaurants or you're running a large process like that. And a large operation like that. And not only is it is it something that's hard to do, but to hold true to that is a really kind of proves it's a true testament to what it is that we want to do and what I like to do when I create menus and do stuff like that. So so when you guys are out there, take a look. You know, I I know that Whole Foods is a massive company, and it was just bought by Amazon and all that stuff. But you don't have to just go to these big factory markets that are out there. Take a look at some of the local stuff around you. Head over to that website, localharvest.org. Try to find out because you know what? It's going to bring a, a different creative world to what it is that you're doing at home, or even what you're doing in a restaurant. You find out that there's a, a CSA that's dropping off. You know, for a hundred dollars, you can get. You know, an entire week's worth of produce, or seventy-five dollars. You can put it into a budget, and these people are dropping stuff off to you that you would never have worked with before. You know, romesco cauliflower. Who knows what it is? Not many people know what it is. It's got an amazing flavor. It's got a completely different look than what a normal cauliflower does. But it's one of the things that gets grown. I mean, look at beans. What can you do with beans? These are things that are being dropped off when you're getting involved in these CSAs. Then they talk about things like shelf vegetables. Shelf vegetables were things that were done for the fall. Because they would hold on a shelf potatoes, and carrots and tubers and all of these types of things that are being grown during the summer that are being harvested later on in the year. Um, and they're and they're thriving. You know, asparagus season is three months out of the year. Why are we eating asparagus in the middle of why are we eating asparagus in the middle of January or in the middle of you know, April? We need to make sure that we're really hitting the seasons that we're doing because one, it's going to make you more creative. Uh, When you're cooking at home or when you're cooking in restaurants, because you're getting products that you've never really worked with before. So step back, take a look at some of the stuff that's right within your backyard and have some fun with that. Ladies and gentlemen, come on. Welcome to Duffified Live. Mr. Farmer Lee Jones. How are you, sir? Doing just great. Awesome. I love it. The enthusiasm, I can feel it. We already had a quick conversation and we've already got the, uh, the enthusiasm at the same level, I think.
2: Well, September, it's that peak season, the last of the summer stuff and the first of the fall stuff. It's an amazing time of year on the farm. So real quick, why don't we, before we
1: get into anything further, why don't you tell us real quick how everybody can get in contact with you or follow you and all the amazing stuff that you do?
2: Uh, Well, you can certainly follow us on uh, Instagram, Farmer Lee Jones or The Chef's Garden, and as well, Facebook, and of course, the website, The Chef's Garden. You got to put a dash between The Chef's and The Garden. (laughs) a dash of something (laughs) in there yeah exactly that's right
1: um so so why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about you i mean you're you're a farmer you live in ohio but you've been kind of a spokesperson in reality for sustainable farming for uh, getting rid of the factory farm kind of world for many many years so what do you what do you do
2: now well i mean we're we're in an amazing microclimate. we're right on lake erie we're 2.9 miles from inland from Lake Erie on some of the richest sandy loam in the world. And at one point there were probably 330 vegetable farms in our County. And, uh, one by one, those small family farms were pushed out, uh, due to commercial farming, larger farms could do it on a more efficient scale. Um, a lot of those farmers would have con- been considered artisanal farms, you know, today, but back in the day they were considered truck farmers and we, right. we were as well, truck farmers. and. Ultimately, we couldn't survive in the commercial world and lost the family farm when I wow. was nineteen years old, and uh, stood with all of our neighbors and our, my parents and my brother and sister and all of our competitors and watched them auction off every single thing that we owned right down to the, my mother's car and, and the farm the uh, house wow and we you know we met a European influenced chef and she said, "You know look, I think that there's a way I think that there's hope for the small family farm, of course." In the late 70s, the Secretary of Agriculture, Earl Butts, came out and said, get big or get out, in reference to farming. And uh, there was no way we could be big. We were looking and desperate for a way to be able to survive in agriculture. Right. And, you know, her name was Iris Balin, and she was a chef who had trained in Europe. And she said, "Grow grow it without chemical, grow it the right way, grow it for flavor, grow it for the integrity of product. And there are enough chefs in the world, in the United States, that will support you. Wow. We had no other option. And we grabbed a hold of her by both ankles and we would not let this lady go. And she taught us and educated us and inspired us and turned us on to other chefs. And, you know, Jean Louis was one of our early mentors and continued to introduce us to a lot of the right people early on. And chefs have been teaching us how to do it for 35 years. Wow. That's, that's, and now
1: is, is, uh, is Chef Balance still around? Is she, in- involved she, in any way?
2: No, she actually, she became the food editor of the Cleveland Plain Dealer for about eight or 10 years and, and then left the industry entirely. Wow.
1: That's pretty aggressive.
2: <laughs> but I mean, the yeah. fact that she had kind of the
1: foresight to see, you know, and to be able to pull everybody together. I know I, I do it. I deal with a lot of farmers. My, one of my last major restaurants that I opened was, was an organic kind of farm to table. As we all know, it's a big term. This was about seven years ago that we had done this. And, and I was dealing with about 75 farmers. And and wow. I worked directly with a group called Lancaster Farm Fresh for Chefs, which I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them. But originally it was a series of, she- of, of farmers, all Amish farmers, and they were just kind of growing blindly. You know, one guy was growing spinach and romaine and another guy 10 miles down the road is doing the same thing. So you may end up with, you know. You may end up with no microgreens, but you've got an abundance of spinach or and romaine. And this guy had come in, and and he always tells the story of how he sat in a barn with all of these Amish farmers. You know, these very religious. People And he sat there and said, OK, well, well, how are we going to do this? And he pulled everybody together to this massive group that they have now where, uh, you know, you have to sell a certain amount of your of your crop to the to the farm fresh, to the collaborative. And then the rest of it, you can do with it as you please. And, you know, but they suggest what you grow and it really pulled them together. And they have an amazing operation now an absolutely amazing operation and they deliver all over the place. They're very big with whole foods and, and all of that as well, which is nice to see because they're really gaining notoriety for what they do. Um, But so, so how, so how long did it take for you guys to go, you know, I mean, from that seventies point moving forward, were you guys able to see the growth with the chefs locally at that point? Or did it take, you know, eight, 10 years before you really got a a lot of recognition or notice, notice of what was going on?
2: Well, we're still trying to figure it out, but uh, <laughs> any, any day uh, we, now, we'll get that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we started locally and there wasn't really enough momentum at that point locally for for chefs to really understand and embrace and support us. Early on, there were local chefs that did, but there weren't enough to give us sustainability. And right. that's when we, you know, we met Jean-Louis Paladin, who had come to the Watergate Hotel in D.C. in the late 70s, early 80s. And, sure. and basically his message to farmers was, you know, your food is shit. If you want to grow for me, you must figure out how to grow. Wow. Because everything was being farmed chemically and right. commercially and high volume. And the was, focus was more on tons per acre than it was for the integrity of the product. And it was his message was really falling on a lot of deaf ears. Um, but we were so desperate to su- survive in agriculture. And, you know, what Iris was saying and what Jean-Louis was saying really resonated with us. And and it really resonated more with my dad because, you know, he was always uncomfortable with the direction the universities were pushing because the universities were financially strapped. And the chemical companies, who's making the money? Pharmaceutical companies and the chemical companies. And they're they're then giving the grants to the universities and saying, hey, we want to give you research money to be able to do research to help the farmers. And, of course, you know, ultimately that research needs to include their chemicals. And, you know, it was it's really kind of like the Western culture of medicine, isn't it, Brian? I mean, you know, um, when we get sick, we go to the doctor and they treat the symptom. Right. And that was really that's really kind of the basis of chemical farming. And, you know, it never really sat well with my father. And he had he's old enough to have remembered the old days of a third of the acreage and cover crops. A third was growing feed for the animals and a third was a product to take to market. And then you rotate it. And you were always rebuilding the soil through plant-based material. And so as devastating as it was to lose the farm, you know, it really gave us that opportunity to wipe the slate and rethink it. And, you know, what Iris was looking for, what Jean-Louis was looking for, and ultimately many American chefs were, you know, products grown in the right way, grown for the integrity. And so a lot of our research actually came from agricultural books that are 100, 150 years old. And you think about it, you know, the, We have a 3,000% increase in kidney, liver, heart, cancer disease, attention deficit disorder, autism, childhood obesity, allergies in the last 60 years. It's amazing. And, you know, we think that there's a direct correlation with the occurrences at 3,000% and the way that we've been farming for the last 60 years. You go back previous to that, they were farming amazing products without those chemicals. And so we have a saying that the only thing we're trying to do is get as good as the farmers were 100 years ago. Well, and and it it wasn't broke at that
1: point. There was nothing wrong Right now. And I, and I, I I am a firm (laughs) believer, trust me, you know, coming from a a father who just, who just beat pancreatic cancer and coming from a person who travels all over the world and sees European methods of growing and the way that they're doing stuff and the chemicals that are not even allowed to go cross their borders. You know, it's not even happening. It's, it's just something. And you know, and then we walk through a market. I I was in Whole Foods a couple of weeks ago. And, and and I I don't know what your feeling is about Whole Foods, but for me, I I feel better eating the food because I know that it's a cleaner product. I I may have to pay more. And I'll be honest with Amazon taking over, it's a little bit of a concern for me, but I do know that I'm still eating a clean product because if they're holding the integrity, but I was standing there the other day and there was a woman who was in the grocery store and she had said, she had picked up the beets and she's like, are you kidding me? They can't even clean the beets. And I thought to myself, we're so, we're, we're, we're so distracted from the appearance. of it. Right. You know, we walk through and we tap every apple and we pick it up and we smell it and we do all this. But if there's a little bit of dirt on it or any form of mistake on there, we automatically shove it aside. Um, right. and, and that's a problem, a big problem.
2: It is, it is. And I mean, you know, so looking at the Western culture of treating the symptom, because I think kind of the way that we were farming. And of course, ultimately that failed us. And now we kind of look at it as more like an Eastern culture, get the body in balance to defend against the diseases in the first place. Right. And for us, it all really starts with healthy soil, healthy soil, healthy vegetables, healthy people. Sure. And that's really the premise of what we're doing. And, you know, we should certainly not be concerned about the dirt. I think that at least we know that it was grown in soil at that point. We, we call it, we call it soil, not dirt. Dirt's what's under your bed. Soil's what you grow vegetables
1: in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. And and I and I will know from a demo that I once did on mushrooms that mushrooms grow in substrate. I got in a lot of trouble for saying that mushrooms grow elsewhere, but they do grow in substrate. I did learn that. So.
2: Yeah. Well, you've been in trouble
1: for worse things, Frank. Oh my God. <laughs> Especially being a chef. Are you kidding me? Long nights out alone just get me in trouble these days. But um. So so I mean I mean. At what point did you guys finally start to see that you could make a difference in what you were doing? I mean, because you guys are bucking the system at this point.
2: Well, the chefs allow us that privilege of defying traditional distribution. We believe direct is the shortest distance between two places, and we don't go through any distributors. Uh, Our product is a growing product until a chef calls us and and orders it. And when they order it, we go pick it. And it's as simple as that. And we pick it, we wash it, we cool it and we pack it, and we send it to them. We don't get all wrapped up on the whole local thing. I know this goes a little bit counterculture to the um, buzzwords of today, but I believe that the local is one of the most bastardized words in uh, today's uh, descriptions. I agree. Local defines the distance, not the integrity of the product. Now, if you can get something in your backyard and it's grown right, by all means, we should do it. Sure. But there's, the reality is is that there's not enough people to get what we're trying to do to be able to sustain us. So yeah. we really rather, you know, partner and reach out to anybody that understands philosophically and conceptually what we're trying to do and work with them, regardless of their location. So, and, and, and as Thomas a chef, Keller, I'm sorry, go ahead. It, Thomas Keller. No, that's okay. Thomas Keller, you know, works with Diane St. Clair, who produces the most amazing butter that he can find in the country. And she happens to be in Vermont and he ships it to. French laundry. And, you know, he, he explained that he says, first and foremost, it's my obligation to use the best ingredients I can. Secondly, she has 10 cows and if I don't support her, she's not sustainable. Right. So,
1: well, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, know when I started to do, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, not in a restaurant world. I started working in restaurants at 14 and, you know, I had seen, you know, and this was, I mean, God, 14, I was in in the early eighties. So moving forward and they didn't teach any of this in culinary school. You know, this wasn't a taught process. We were taught how to order food, how to cook food, how to produce food. So, which is kind of a shame if you think about it, because we're taking the future of our industry as a culinary industry and and we're teaching them just buy. And. When you end up with a purveyor like a U.S. food, a Cisco, a a Reinhardt or whatever it is, their job is to sell the food. And and, and they really don't care about the the integrity of the food. So for me, it was a learning process to really move into the world of, well, hold on a second. I'm putting this into my body and I'm putting something into somebody else's body. I need to be responsible for this because they're trusting me to create not only a delicious meal, but something that's well-balanced, nutritious and safe for them to eat. So. So it took a while for me and I didn't realize the importance of sustainable farming, the importance of the local, quote unquote, local world until I really started to dig into it and found out that local actually means within 300 miles is is what the term is. But if you think about it, local 300 miles is, you know, is is an enormous space that we're dealing with. So it's not the backyard farmer. It's not the guy from Lancaster County where I live, you know, which is 37 miles away. It, it's local. This could be coming out of Boston for all I know. So y'all, y'all know that I travel and y'all know that, uh, I am all over the place all the time. And, and one of the things that, uh, that I laugh about and people laugh about with me is the, uh, is the one suitcase that I bring, whether it's going for two days, three days or 10 or 12 days. But the funniest part about that is that there's usually a little bag or there's a space kind of put aside inside of my, or inside of my suitcase. That's just for hats. Okay. A typical five day trip for me requires 10 hats, okay? Because I like to have a choice. And one of the things that adds to that choice for me is my good friends at Noggin Wear. Yep, it's a commercial, everybody. We're going to talk about Nogginware. Go over to their website for Nogginware.com. Tell them that I sent you. Put the code of Chef Bride up, and you're going to get 10% off. These guys have an amazing selection of hats that they do. They have limited edition, they have a hat club. Three, six, and nine-month subscriptions that you can sign up for. It's going to show up in your doorstep every single month. Trust them. They're going to send you some good stuff. You want to buy one of my hats that I have over there? Chef Bride Duff. It's real simple. 10% off of those hats when you get them. Free shipping all the time. You're going to get a neat little package inside of there that's a little gift, something to make you a little bit smarter. But when you go through, take a look at some of the Duff hats that are in there. I've got a really cool one with a crosshatch of knives. I've got a really cool one that's just kind of some logos and layers laid across. Neat stuff. Scott and the boys over there always take care of me. We've got a great relationship, and I ask them to take care of you. Noginware.com, Chef Bride Off, 10% off. Just go do it. So for you guys, though, to to take that, that 70s and 80s and have people who are starting to really get the integrity of the food, like a Thomas Keller, um, you know, a Paladin, those type of guys, how did you start to make or morph into the world of where you guys are now? I mean, you guys are, are a worldly recognized farm and really an innovation center for what happens with what you guys do. How did that come together?
2: Well, my dad has another saying. He says we have to continue to make mistakes at a faster rate than the competition. And he also <laughs> says we do mistakes really well. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's really just been a collaboration. Um, Chef have really been the visionaries and the ones to see the future, and they took us under their wing and gave us the air between our uh, underneath our wings and gave us a chance to be able to fly and it's really been a symbiotic relationship of chef and farmer working together and we love to get chefs here on the farm and of course that's why we built the culinary vegetable institute 16 years ago and you know it's a place it's a learning center and we've learned from each other and and continue to try things and work together to improve everything. How did you work life balance to, you know, to the quality and the integrity of the food. Right.
1: How did you become, how how did your, how did you get into the, the realm or the world where you are now? I mean, you know, I mean, you're worldly recognized. I mean, and, and it's not just because of the bow tie and the overalls, you know, I mean, you're, you're the relationship that you have with chefs is, is pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, I'll be honest. I've met a tremendous amount of people in my life and, and I, I saw you at the Beard Awards, and, and I said to my brother, I have to talk to him. Like, I have to go over, and I have to introduce <laughs> myself. Because, I, you know, I mean, you're somebody that, I'll, I'll say it pretty straightforward, I've looked up to. I've watched you do your stuff for years. And so for me, and I even said to you when, when I sent you the emails whatever I can do to work with you, I would love to do that. And so it was an honor for me to be able to, one, have that conversation. But two, for you guys to invite me out there next week is a big
2: thing we're, for me. So I no, appreciate it. excited that. to have you. Well, I don't know. I think you're giving us too much credit. We're just church farmers out here trying to <laughs> trying to do something special, and we get to work with chefs. And you know, I think that chefs recognize us because of our passion and commitment um, to be able to try and survive in agriculture. And you know, it, I don't. I think you're blowing too much, giving us too much credit. Um, we we're very very humbled to be a small part of the culinary world. And the chefs have allowed us an existence and given us that privilege, and we've taken advantage of it and pushed it as hard as we could. Once they kind of gave us the direction, we dug in, and no pun intended, and it worked <laughs> hard to, you know, the chef world is a very competitive world. Yeah, it's not pretty. We're trying to, yeah, we're trying to give them every advantage that we can. We consider ourselves a part of these chefs' teams, and we're out here doing it the way that you would do it if you were here making that decision, and that's how we yeah. make. Every single decision on the farm is, what would Chef do if Chef was here herself or himself? And that's how we try and make those decisions. How how is it going to affect us environmentally, socially, and economically? And those three things are the core of every decision that we make. You know, I, I spend a lot of time consulting
1: these days, developing menus, putting products together, and and I I try to explain to my clients as much as I can that we have a responsibility to our guests. Like I said, to not only create a, a meal that is delicious and 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 physically or visually appearing uh, you know uh, appealing to them, but we have a responsibility to try to to serve them the most healthy and wholesome products that we absolutely can. And and it's it's a hard thing to do when you're dealing with a you know a restaurant in Byron Illinois of a, a town of four thousand people to say okay well the romaine is clean and, and it's all natural and it's it's you know because those are buzzwords that people want to hear clean organic and, and all natural um, and and then it's tough when you get a, a big company like a U.S. Food or a Cisco to walk in and say well I can save you seventeen dollars a case on romaine and and there's a tar- there's a tough world to do that but one of the things that I've really loved to see over the last bunch of years as a chef is, is the the shift change that, that people are making now where they're really starting to pay attention to the ingredients, you know, and, and you nailed it right on the head in the last 60 years, the farming that's been done is a direct cause to all of the shit that happens to people. <laughs> I mean, my father didn't get pancreatic cancer because of the fact that he sat on a couch and ate an organic piece of romaine. It was probably the, you know, the factory farm Johnsonville brought with cheddar cheese that was in there that added to that. Um, but but how are you seeing now with the shift change, with chefs being more socially responsible for the product that they're serving and, and what you guys are doing?
2: Well, I think that, you know, all the things that you say are true. And, and it, it's so competitive. Not only do they expect it to be visually appealing and taste good, but I think that the bigger thing and the millennials... And generation actors are, are really pushing chefs and pushing farmers. It's more about, there's, because there's so many choices out there, not only does it need to be visually appealing and great and great atmosphere, but it also needs to stand for the purposes that are important to them. And we call it product with purpose. And so every single thing that we do has to be thoughtful and carefully looked at. And what are we doing? Um, one of the great examples is we've got a neighbor that produces seed corn. And as a byproduct, they have hundreds of tons of corn cob. Now, Brian, I know some of the listeners may think that corn cobs only have one use on a farm, but I'm here today <laughs> to tell you most of the listeners are probably too young to know that that was the precursor to the toilet paper. Just as a side note. I didn't um, even know that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It's a little rough, but you know, it's very uh, environmentally friendly okay i' I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here a little bit <laughs> your neighbor has hundreds of tons of corn tops as a byproduct and he has to pay all those away Perfect. well we put in a boiler system we actually tore down four acres of greenhouse used greenhouse that was the newest stuff was 30 years old some of it 50 and 60 years old we tore it down on a farm about two hours away from here and brought it back and set it back up but then we put boilers to and now, instead of our neighbor having to pay to haul corn cobs away, we pay him to deliver them a mile and a half down the road, and we store them, and we heat the entire greenhouse with corn cobs that would have been, had to be hauled and thrown away. Our neighbor wins, the environment wins, we win, the chef sure. win, and the end user wins. No fossil fuels used, and just a, it's a great way to be able to look for those symbiotic relationships that can work to be able to give purpose to product, It's now not just the romaine, it's the romaine grown in a way that, of course, all those things that are important to all of us right now. Yeah. And that's just one example of many.
1: Well, and, and one of the things that I, I always talk about with, with my clients when they say, you know, I, I, when I first ask them, and even when I develop menus for myself for restaurants that I'm involved in or, or restaurants that I've owned or owned in the past, I, I always say, look, you know, yeah, you're paying more for a product, But we're charging that product accordingly. I mean, if you're dying to sell a seven dollar Caesar salad, well, it's really going to be tough to do when you're serving a really good, clean product. And the person who's buying that seven dollar Caesar salad probably isn't going to to understand the concept of paying twelve dollars for a Caesar salad. You know, but if as chefs, we're we're charging accordingly to the product that we're doing, then it all balances out. I mean, it's a balance across the board. And the cool thing that I've seen is that the amount of farms that are growing right now, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to live near right near Lancaster County. And, and I'm a Harley rider, so I may make noise when I ride through those farms, through that main street going through there. But it's amazing to me to see the smaller plots that are growing next to the big factory farmed stuff. You know, every farm that I kind of pass along the main roads when I drive out there, seems to have a, you know, they have a code on them um, and they basically tell who they're growing for. And a lot of it is for Hatfield Farms. You know, they're growing the corn to feed the pigs and whatnot out there. But it's great to see the smaller little farms that they're putting together and the amount of people that are stopping at the farmer's markets or that they're selling that product locally. And uh, I was I passed a farm the other day that had said, we sell our, our produce out of this lot, out of this plot directly to these four grocery stores in your neighborhood. And so I'm starting to see a bigger movement going through with that stuff and, and people are really starting to pay attention to it. So it's kind of a neat thing, but, uh, so, so, so what's happening with you guys now? So, uh, the, the roots, um, initiative that's happening next week, what's, what's going into that?
2: Well, you know, we felt like there, there needed to be a place to be able to get the real brilliant people together in the industry and to let them share ideas and to network and exchange. It was an educational uh, event that was envisioned five years ago. We see chefs work tirelessly and then volunteer and go to charity events, and they're always, always, always helping. It's the most giving group of people that I've ever met. And so we felt like to put an event on where those chefs would be able to come and to be able to network, share ideas, exchange, was really something that was lacking. I was inspired by uh, Rene Redzepi's event over at the Mad Food Conference and right. over twice and uh, was over there to speak a year ago. And it was really based off of what we saw happening there in Copenhagen. And so we, we designed a program. We wanted it not to be huge. We wanted it to be a boutique event. And we're bringing people in that we think are doing really amazing things within the industry and then getting them together and allowing some time to be able to talk and to share ideas and to collaborate. you know, there could be somebody on one side of the country working on something and somebody on the east side of the country working on it. And if they can get together and share ideas and notes and, and work together rather than apart, why well, it just it makes for some amazing collaboration. Oh absolutely this year's theme is about innovation. And it's not just innovation on a culinary technique. Uh, Jamie is doing some work, actually, with a centrifuge that's really exciting. Of course, centrifuge was primarily invented for the pharmaceutical industry, uh, but he's using it in culinary. But it's not just about culinary technique. It may be on work-life balance. How do we be able to follow our passion of staying in the food industry, but yet be able to have that work-life balance? I mean, we know this industry can eat you up, spit you out, (laughs) and it's tough on a personal relationship or anything else. And so, those innovation and work life balance, uh, you know, Gavin from uh, up in Minnesota was with Danielle for many years, you know, has presented a four day work week. Now you're still working 60 hours, but you're going right. to do it in four days. Yeah. It gives you three days to be able to have that balance with family and to be able to go to your kids' soccer game and to be able to know the teacher's name and to be able to go to those parent teacher conferences. And, you know, it, so it's so it's innovation in every single way that we can, environmental, social. And economic, and anything else that we can find, and it's just unbelievable to see the synergies that happen at this Roots Innovate conference.
1: That's pretty, and I, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm going to be out there, and I'm going to be on a panel for talking about employees and, and kind of the ways that we're handling all the new laws and all the new changes that are happening, and, and I'm kind of, I'm a very spiritual guy. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who really does believe in that work life you know, balance as a father of two daughters who travels a tremendous amount. And, you know, my girls are 16 and 13. I need to be home for them. And Absolutely. one of the things that I, I've really been talking about a lot lately is the fact that we as employers are actually being interviewed by our potential employee as opposed to the other way around. Um, Absolutely. You know, when, when, when I can have an employee who looks at me and I say, hey, where did you work last time? And they said, I worked at Outback. And I said, oh, okay. how much were you making there? And they say $15 an hour because they were the guy cutting bloom and onions. And I have to tell them, well, I start my line cooks at $10 an hour or $11 an hour. And I have to explain why. And I have to show them that, you know, it's not just about the money, that that I'm going to educate you at the same time. And one of the things that I believe in is getting our, our, you know, just the simple thing of putting a schedule up two weeks ahead of time so that your staff knows that they can schedule something with their wife or That's that right. they can go out with their family or, you know, Hey, I'm off on Thursday. Or, or for me, I was the type of guy who uh, I would, I would not schedule you as a close on a Friday and a Saturday, you would close on a Friday right. night, but you would leave early on a Saturday. So you could take your wife to the movies or go out to dinner or go get drunk with your buddies. Who cares what it was. Um, and we've really turned our, we we've taken the industry into this almost, you know, I have a friend of mine who works for, for for, Daniel below. She makes, she made $12 an hour and she lived in New York city. But she did that because she was educated. She was being educated by him. And there was a respect that went into that because she was gaining something from him rather than just a paycheck. And I try to use that example all the time that it's not just about a paycheck, especially when you're 19 or 20 years old. This is an industry that that is is backbreaking. It's not an easy thing. Um, But we have to employ people who want to work because in Philadelphia alone, we had 950 restaurants 20 years ago. We have over 9,000 now. So the labor wow. pool has really kind of dwindled down and the, the employees themselves have a huge opportunity to go and work for absolutely anybody. So to, to kind of sum it all up, why are they coming to work for us? And we have to be able to offer that stuff out there. So to hear about something like a four-day work week, I adore that. I love that. And I've always said to my chefs, no matter what you do, you, you know, I'd love you to work 55 to 60 hours a week. If you work 70, that's your fault. But if you're working 45 or 50 and you're getting the job done and labor cost is where it should be and food cost is where it should be and consistency, then work 45 hours a week. You know, we have to do that the right way and we have to employ our, our, you know, allow that to happen with our staff. So. So what other types of things are going to be happening at Roots? I mean, I know there's demonstrations, there's classes, there's forums. What other type of stuff is going to be going on out there?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that really doesn't even show up on on the schedule is the networking that happens. It's just mind-boggling to see people that can sit under a tree and have a glass of lemonade or a glass of wine or a drink <laughs> or a cocktail and, and, and really to be able to exchange ideas. Um, We do a dinner with, uh, this dinner will be with several different, uh, chefs that are actually tying in to the whole theme of environmental and social issues. So every course has a message and the dinner will be one common table with 250 people all sitting at one table. And that's an exciting part of the event on, uh, Monday night. We're excited about having Charlotte Boise here from William Grant, uh, and she'll do pre-cocktail cocktails before dinner, which are always fun. And, um, you know, the the waste thing, I think at this point, everybody in the United States, if if they have a television, know that there's 40% food waste in America, which is really, really a sad thing to think about people that are hungry in this country and to have 40% food waste. And it's an issue on our farm as well as many farms. And we actually did a collaboration uh, with a group uh, called Mantra down in Nashville, Tennessee who does an amazing artisan craft beer and we hand delivered some of our, what we call number two carrots, something that isn't a perfect shape, that doesn't fit the the mold, if you will. And all we do is cut them up anyway. And you know, yeah, it's the product we've taken home and eaten for years because we knew it was just as good as the perfect looking stuff because all the same love, all the same nutrients went into it. It's just that we couldn't sell it. So that's what we would always take home and eat, but we took some down and they made an amazing, um, beer out of this combining oh, wow. the carrots in. and of course it's gonna be called Root Beer and we're gonna be introducing that at the conference. We're excited oh, nice. about that that collaboration. So there's some really interesting collaborations that happen. And, and that's ha- probably one of the most exciting things for us.
1: How long is how long has
2: Roots been going on? This is our fifth year. Wow.
1: Uh, so and it's a yearly
2: have, it is, yeah. We do it every fall and um this year, we're actually doing it a week later. It's so difficult. There's so many different events uh, during September, and you're kind of trying to not to go head-to-head out of respect right. for the other events, and this appeared to be the weekend of September 25th. It's not even actually on a weekend. We did it on a Monday-Tuesday because we felt like that was softer days for some of these chefs, yeah. uh, that it's hard to get them out of place on the weekend. And then,
1: so, so how, how far... I guess I'm trying to think of the, the, the way that I want to kind of put this. What, what is the ultimate goal of Roots itself?
2: It's really, it's about sharing ideas and knowledge and looking for ways that we can move the whole, raise the bar in the industry from, from a farmer to a chef to anybody that's involved in any part of the industry. It's not going to be us sitting here telling folks how to do anything. We have very, we're a vessel to to bring amazing people together and let them share. And we're a very low profile in this event other than hosting it and bringing amazing people together to collaborate to share ideas.
1: All right. So now here's 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 where the, the some of the the fun stuff comes into play. So uh favorite meal if you had to eat anything what would it be? It,
2: it's whatever's in season. Uh Okay. Look, uh, chefs chefs uh you know need to really understand when those seasons are. And I think food enthusiasts do as well. I think when asparagus is in season, we should eat it three times a day. And when it's out of season, we should lust for it for 10 more months. Right. Yeah.
1: I I, uh, I do a lot of, like I said, I, and I keep saying, I do a lot of consulting and um, I, I, I do a lot of more comforty kind of basic, simple style food that, that a lot of my, especially my Midwest clients really go for. And one of my clients called me the other day and said, why are we doing salt roasted tomatoes? And I said, because come September, October, November, tomatoes aren't at their peak. So we take a Roma tomato, we quarter it, we season it, we herb it. And then we put that on all of our sandwiches because would you want to just have a mealy tomato show up on a burger? Would you like to have something that has a little bit more flavor that we can kind of work through? Because we still have to put a tomato on the burger. You know, we we still have to have that. That's just a classic way of doing it in America. And, And unfortunately, it's the way that it works. But. And once I explained that to her and she said, you know, you're absolutely right. I'm sick and tired of getting these tomatoes in December when I order a sandwich or whatever it is. Um, but so I, I totally agree with the, the the way that we have to eat in that in that realm. Now, asparagus three times a day. I don't know about that. I'm a big I'm a big asparagus guy, but I don't know if I can do all th- three, three or three times a day. So <laughs> <laughs> but but um, so. So for you, that's the big, so, I mean, you've traveled all over the world and, and doing this and you've traveled all over the country and where's your favorite place and not even a, an individual restaurant, just a, just a space itself. I mean, is there a certain state that you love or that you love to go to or the vacation with? I mean, you're, you're, you're a down to earth guy. What is your, what's
2: your Oh, world? That's, oh, you know, that is so difficult. There's so many amazing chefs out there. I'm going to play this one safe and say right under my own table, my wife is an amazing cook and we have people say well how don't you get intimidated to cook for those chefs and she doesn't try and change she just cooks basic she knows pure ingredients and I've ran into chefs from 10 years ago that had Mary's roasted beets you know out of the oven and um, so I'm going to say right at home eating what's Mm. in season
1: that's great That's great.
2: Well, Lee, I I appreciate
1: your time and I I know you have a lot going on and you guys are getting ready for next week. Um, And and I just want to say that, hey, it's an honor for me. I'm super excited to be able to get out there and and I'm only going to be there for a day and a half, but I'm really excited to get in and hang out with you guys and and be a part and, and, and to continue moving forward with whatever it is that we can do for the future. So I appreciate your time.
2: Hey, thanks for letting me be on. It's an honor to be here.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, that was something that was pretty cool for me. Uh, You know, I've met some some pretty cool people throughout throughout my travels in the last 10 to 15 years. And and, and, and I wasn't even blowing smoke up his ass when I had said that that I really was. I mean, I saw him at the Beard Awards. Uh, You know, I was there. My brothers were um, were there. For uh, being nominated for a show that they had done on Amazon called Eat the World. So if anybody's out there and you want to check out a really cool show, you can you can go to Amazon and, and check it out. It's called Eat the World with Emeril Lagasse. It won uh, won some Emmys this year and was nominated for a couple of Beard Awards. So uh, it actually won for Best Culinary Program um, for an Emmy, and uh, it was a pretty awesome opportunity to get out there. But but I remember being in New York and standing there, and I was with my parents and my brothers, and you know, there's a tremendous amount of chefs around. I mean, Zimmern's there and and Vitaly's there. And these are guys that we've all grown up with in this industry. And, and and Lee Jones was somebody who is memorable, not just because of the fact that he wears overalls in a red bow tie, but because of his, his kind of nature and, and what he does to this industry. And and it's neat to he, to speak to somebody like that who really gets the basics of it. Um, a lot of people look at me like I'm kind of weird when I talk about the fact that that we have issues within our country because of factory farming. We have issues in our country because of our government getting involved in stuff that I truly don't believe that they should be involved in. You know, these are farmers that were given an opportunity in the 60s and 70s to, to create on a much larger level. And it was unfortunately done kind of under the ruse of we're going to make you more money, which it did. But at the same time, we really started to mess with the integrity of our bodies, um, with the things that we're doing. You know, I, I, I'm not a fan of, of a tomato after September. It's just not something that I can do. I don't believe in it, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm not a fan of the, the chemicals that go into food um, because I know how it makes me feel. Uh, you know, It makes me feel like shit. Think about it when you sit down after you eat a meal and, and you look back at what it is that you had. A lot of it has to do with the chemicals, and a lot of it has to do with the fats and all the saturated crap that goes into it, and it's just not good for us. Um, it's not something that we should be doing, so it's kind of neat to listen to somebody who has grown up on a farm who has seen that? And out of necessity, they had to make a decision at that point. And the fact that that Mr. Jones, you know, Lee's father, made that decision at that point by meeting a chef. So it's kind of neat to think about the symbiotic relationship that a chef and a farmer have together. And that's why it's been so neat to talk about the food process that we have now compared to 15 years ago. Um, you know, and these are things that our country has been doing. For centuries, you know, we've really been eating, not that we are as a country, we've been around for centuries, but we've got two, we've got two and a half pretty damn good decades that have gone on. Um, I'm sorry, two and a half pretty good, uh, uh, what, centuries? Yeah, whatever. I don't even know, but I'm. you understand what I'm saying here. But we have, uh, you know, we did all right before all that. We did okay. And we didn't have the disease and we didn't have the issues that we have now with autism, with uh just the the constant barrage of diseases that are coming on. And it all is correlated back. It all follows right back through to the fact that it's all these chemicals that we're putting in. You know, they had it easy then. You you put the stuff in the ground and you water it. And if you get some bugs, you know, you got to kind of deal with it at that point. But then chemicals came along to spray and then disease came along that came from that and runoff came from that. We started to ruin our rivers and and everything that came came from that. It, it, it was not a really pretty situation, so it's nice to see that there's somebody out there who has that belief. And that, again, that relationship between chef and farmer is so important because we, she, at that point, made that conversation happen and made put that seed—no pun intended—but put that seed inside of a farmer's head to say we should continue to do this because it's important for chefs and for the future to go through that. So. Farmer Lee Jones, I want to thank you so much for your time and and your your knowledge and your passion for the industry, for both industries, being the farming, the agriculture, as well as the culinary industry, to make sure that we're getting really good stuff. Um and it starts with one guys. It, it, it starts with one person to make that move. Um and then for others to believe in that, have that same belief, but that one person to be able to get that information and that knowledge out there. And and that's kind of one of the things that I believe in. I try to inform people on everything I can and, and give you guys good guests to listen to at the same time. So that's what I have to say for this episode. This is, uh, y'all can find me. I'm Chef Brian Duffy on Instagram and Twitter at Chef Brian Duff, Facebook is Chef Brian Duffy. Find us on Duffified Live, which is exactly where we are. You can check it all out on Stitcher, iTunes, and absolutely all the time. You can find us on RadioInfluence.com. So everybody do me a favor. Have an awesome week.
0: Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the absolute best in digital audio broadcasting. We've got something for everyone. Sports personalities like the fabulous sports babe, Rich Herrera, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy as they take you inside the dugout. We'll take you inside the world of MMA with the MMA Report with Jason Floyd, the MMA Insiders, and the Valor Hour with Tim Loy and Casey Oxide. Or you could find yourself sitting ringside with wrestling ring announcer David Penn. TV law enforcement analyst and former police officer Vincent Hill breaks down this week's biggest crime stories and takes you beyond the badge. Chef Brian Duffy from TV's Bar Rescue shares his crazy life on the road with Duffified Live. And Scott Ledger will always make you think with some dangerous conversation. All of Radio Influence's shows can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.